Um, so I just wanted to share, not, not for super long tonight, but just kind of to take Christmas and put a different little perspective on it. I know, like Donovan said, this can be a difficult time for some people. Some people, this is just a celebration, and for other people, this is a difficult season. People have passed, and things have changed, and I think sometimes we feel guilty maybe being able to allow ourselves to have a good experience without some of the people that we've lost or some of the people that we love. So tonight I want to try to bring encouragement and try to bring a different perspective on some things. I'm going to start with Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What I love about this verse is we're talking about the birth of Jesus. And it says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. So, so often we take all the weight of what's going on in the world. And I think a lot of us have a tendency to look at it and have a negative view of what's happening on the earth. And to feel like we're responsible. So people get afraid and people start shouting at each other and people have their, their strong opinions. And I think it's important to note, it says the government is on his shoulders. It says he establishes it, he upholds it, his zeal accomplishes it. And then it gets really interesting to me, the line in there where it says, there will be no end to the increase of his government, and there will be no end to the increase of peace. I think a lot of people think the world is just getting worse and worse and worse. We're just, you know, going to, to heck in a handbasket. Everything is just falling apart. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what the Bible says. Right here, we're looking at this. It says, there's no end to the increase of his government. No end to the increase of peace. For people that love to strive, that's an encouraging message. Because it's often easy to think that we're in the driver's seat. And the whole world is just sitting in the trailer bed of the truck we're driving. And it's important to know, God's got a plan. There's an end game. And our voting or social media posting isn't going to adjust God's plans. We're not going to be the field goal that wins the game. He's already won it. Most importantly, it's not that it says his government and peace will never end. It says the increase of those things will never end. The kingdom of God is constantly expanding from the time of Jesus till now. It has not shrunk back. It has not been overrun. The darkness has not overcome it. And peace has not diminished. So as much violence and struggle and difficulty as we see in the world, in this season especially, I want to encourage us to remember, peace has not decreased. It is growing. And if we let our eyes see that, if we let our hearts feel that and experience that, that's going to change the way you view the world. It's going to change your approach. And it's going to change your results because of that as well. Jesus isn't just a good idea. He is actively moving in the earth right now. Yeah. 
Our tendency is to fix our eyes on problems like Peter looking at the waves and we start to sink. But God is the author and perfecter of our faith. When we fix our eyes on him, we can run our race without tripping. So I want to encourage you, if you have a worldview that is fearful or pessimistic, I'm not getting down on you, but I want to encourage you to start thinking about, are you looking for where God is moving and what he's doing? Or are you looking at what's happening in the world and letting that influence how you think? Are you looking on a humanistic level or are you joining God where he's actively moving? Fear has caused our culture to start using shame as a tool of change, of social change, of any kind of change. And let me tell you, no true, lasting, or godly change comes from fear. <coughs> because there's no love in it. Fear casts out love just as surely as love casts out fear. Romans 3 verse 4 says, Let God be true, but every man a liar. And I can tell you, it's easy sometimes to want to look at the circumstances and look at our surroundings and look at our capabilities and look at our emotions. And none of those things are invalid. They just aren't the trump card. The trump card is God wins. And the trump card is he loves us, ergo we win. And if we can look at the circumstances of our lives and live in faith that says, I don't care what people say, I don't care what my surroundings say, I know there's a higher reality. And even when I struggle to see it, that's what I'm going to choose to think of, to speak of, to live out of. I think that's a great way to restore hope and to look at this season from a different perspective. That doesn't mean that we do nothing. Just like there's people that like to strive and do it all and think that the world's in their pocket, there's people that want to just sit down and grab up a chair and make some popcorn and just watch the, the circus and see what's going to happen. And we have a role to play. Romans 8.17 says we're God's children. And if we're his children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God, then we're joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may, we may be also glorified together. We're getting the struggles of Christ and the rewards of Christ. We're doing the work with Christ. We're co-heirs, we're co-sons and daughters with him. So that means that we do have a responsibility. We have a part to play in this. But first we need to understand his nature and his story. So the Christmas story is one of my favorite stories. I never get enough of it. And it's funny that when you actually go back and look at it, it's a lot harder to find the details of the whole manger and, and that, that whole story because it's only in one book. And I'm going to come to that in a second. But first, Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7 says something interesting about Jesus. It says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So the word that it uses when it says the form of God, and when it says the likeness of men, that likeness is also the word form, that word is the exact same word. So in other words, he's in the form of God, he is God. That form is the fullness of God. And when he became man, that form was the fullness of man. When it says he emptied himself, it actually means he cast off, he, he took the God nature and put it aside and became man. 
And so often we look at what Jesus did on the earth and we think, oh, well, he's God. And we've got to switch our thinking on that because he said, you will do what I did and more. You will do greater things than I did. What he was doing, he wasn't doing as God. He was doing as a man in obedience to God. And when he was born, here's, here's an interesting piece here. Luke's the only place you find this story, and it's just a little snippet. It says, it's talking about Mary. It says, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. So we always have this picture of the innkeeper going, oh, you know, my rooms are booked, but you can stay in the stable. Well, it doesn't actually say that. It says she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The manger could have been anywhere. It didn't have to be at all connected to the end. And in fact, there's a really interesting theory about this that I want to share. There's a place in Bethlehem, not in the actual town of Bethlehem, but in what you call Bethlehem proper, this province still. And it's in the outskirts, and it's called Migdal Eder. And it's this giant tower out in the field. And it's where they kept the Passover lambs. These lambs were trained and purified by shepherds that would wash the flocks on the hillside all year round. So they were out there with these sheep, and they would look at them and judge them as worthy for a temple sacrifice or not, and that they would be taken and used for some other purpose. It says, uh, according to, to history, the new lambs would, some, uh, some sources say, even be wrapped in special swaddling cloths once they were certified. It's interesting because if we wrap our babies up, that's just what we do. So if you're telling somebody, go find this baby in the hospital, look over there, it's the one in swaddling cloths. You're like, well, they're all in swaddling cloths. Why mention that? I think it's really interesting that it's specifically mentioned in the Bible. And when you look at certain historical contexts, it says that was what they did when a lamb was certified for, for a Passover lamb. And then these same shepherds are the ones that go and see Jesus in this place, possibly in this place where the other Passover lambs were kept. Just think that's a really interesting twist on the story because there's actually a collision happening here of the physical and the spiritual realities in the person of Jesus. The, the lambs are representing this, this idea of the scapegoat, this idea of sin is on them so it doesn't have to come on us. The punishment's on them, the consequences, the, the, the death is on them so it doesn't have to come on us. And then you have Jesus, you have the person who's taking this spiritual reality and putting it into actual physical form and joining these two worlds. See, in Bethlehem, God took what was hidden behind the veil in the temple, behind the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go once a year, and he brought it out into the public, into one of the most accessible places with the lowest of the low people. And then the next thing he did was send out invitations. So instead of this private, inaccessible place that only one person could go, he brings Jesus out in front of everybody, and then he goes to the shepherds, and he goes to the wise men, to the kings, to the low and to the high, and says, hey, everybody, come see. Invitations go out. 
He didn't wait for the cross to invite people. It's interesting. It's not just about the power of his death. It's the power of a relationship. It's the power of God saying, hey, my son's here. You all need to take notice. And I just wanted us to get this message that Jesus is accessible. We have access. He's not out there somewhere. I lived so much of my church life, my Christian life, thinking, you know, I prayed my little prayer, I'm going to heaven, God will do this thing and I'll do my thing. And he's just, he's out there. And I just want to encourage us, he's right here. He's right here. When Jesus went around preaching, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The whole of the New Testament is an invitation. And because of that, there is nothing of more importance than for us to encounter and experience the person of Jesus for ourselves. If we haven't encountered him and experienced him, we don't really have much to say. Have you ever had someone talk about a movie or a book and talk about how great it is, and then you find out they never actually read it or watched it? Raise your hand if you've had that happen. And I think a lot of times that's what happens in the church. You have people talking about Jesus. Maybe they've prayed a prayer like I did. Maybe they actually do love the idea of him. But the question is, have you met him? Have you encountered him? Have you actually had an experience with the person? He's a person. He's not an idea. He's real. He speaks. He moves. He acts. Have you encountered him? Because that's what we're invited to do. And here's the thing about getting the presence of God. Here's the thing about encountering him. It's not something you strive for. It's not something you fight for. You don't clean yourself up. You don't hike up the mountain to try to get a glimpse of the glory on the top. If anything, it's actually more of a release. It's actually more of a opening your arms and just falling back and letting him catch you. God doesn't have requirements on us to encounter him anymore. It says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, right? So that's all about salvation. Do you think if you're falling back like this, that's belief? If you're saying, God, I want you, if you're, if you're seeking his presence, it, you don't pray a special prayer. It's just looking for him and you will find him. That's what he says. The Bible says that we are changed as we behold him. Behold implies more than just a glance. It actually implies that there's some time invested in seeking out his beauty and his voice. There's nothing in the world more worth it than that encounter. No sports game, no book, no movie, no Star Wars, no vacation, no project, no nap that can compare to the joy of seeking and encountering the living God who became one of us. So, he's done the work. He's won the war. We don't have to fight and strive, but we do have to partner with him. How do we partner with him? The first is just by trusting his leadership and his authority in the earth. We've got to kick the spirit of fear out of us and replace it with faith and hope. Belief that he's a good king and that he is expanding his kingdom. He knows what he's doing on the earth. He knows what he's doing in your life. Second, 
we've got to encounter him. We've got to fall into his arms. We accept the angel's invitation to come and adore him and meet him face to face. And third, we take up the call of the invitation. To one degree or another, we are all heralds of the invitation of God. We're all looking for the shepherds and the kings to bring that invitation to the stable and to the table of God. And as we partner with God, our perception on what's happening in the world will shift even more, and we'll start to see his kingdom reign in our own lives to a greater degree. We're called to be a community of people that can actually say, here's the conversation I had with God the other day. And that is not calling out shame for anybody who's never experienced that. In fact, the opposite. It's an invitation to hear his voice and experience his presence in a tangible and personal way. If you've never experienced that, or if it's been a long time, or if you want it to a greater degree, I want to invite us to take a little bit of time and pray. So I'm going to ask the band to come up for a little bit, and, and here's what I'm going to do. If you want prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. If you feel like this is something I haven't experienced, or I want more of, or it's been a long time, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to pray for them. So either way, you're going to do something. So if you don't like praying for people, then raise your hand and get prayed for <laughs> It's that easy. So we're going to have the music come on. Let's bring the lights down. I just want to invite us into some time of prayer. Encountering his presence is something we all are invited to do. It doesn't mean you'll get it right now. It doesn't mean you'll get it right away. But I just want to encourage us. Let's take the time that it takes to find him, to hear his voice. And if you're not getting it and you don't know why, ask him, God, what's blocking me? He will tell you. You will hear it. That's what community is for. We're here to help each other. Just get to that next step of being close to him. So, so I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. And if you like prayer, if you want to feel his presence, if you want to hear his voice, I'm ask you guys to gather around people that are being raised.
God's prayer right now. So the first thing is, you know, my sister, 
Like she always has like these intense miracles when it comes to her babies. And uh, well, first, her other son, um, you know, he was born blind. And you know, we prayed for him, and he could see. And then now this year, uh, she was pregnant again, and uh, the doc they had some blood work done, and the doctors told her to come in immediately. There's it, her, the spine is not looking good, you know, and they're telling to telling her to abort, and um, and so we just got together and uh, we prayed, and they went back and they had an ultrasound, and the baby is completely fine. Um, and so that is just, I mean, it is huge, such a blessing. Uh, but I mean, the miracles that he always works always blow my mind. But something else, because I'm someone who loves miracles. You know, like that's what I want to chase, and and for myself, I'm like probably the most extroverted person you'll ever meet. And uh, something that I've always wanted to to like grow in is just to be like calm down. You know, like peace, silence, being by myself. I go into like this extreme depression when I'm alone for five minutes, and it's something that I've been working on. And I, I say it's a miracle because I now seek silence in solitude by myself. I seek reading and, 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 and time with, with Yahweh and, and just who he is and it's just us. And that's what I crave now. And now something I've always wanted for so long. And I, and I believe it's a miracle because not all miracles happen now. And that was a slow and but like I to do so many different things, but it's huge. And so also think about that.
about them, you know, maturing out of certain world depression and stuff, and maybe being said, um, well, if money weren't an object or whatever, I know it's really great counselor, would you, you know, be interested in maybe a couple sessions with her? I said, sure. And it turns out the guy paid for like five sessions with the counselor already. Uh, so just like, just seeing all these resources and things coming in, it's just like, wow. So I, I don't have no idea what the next chapter holds, but anyway, it's just been like amazingly reassuring that like, Favor on everyone. 